When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the second part of our Royal Ascot review on AtTheRaces.com. I'm Emmett Kennedy, joined by AtTheRaces pundit Mr. Kevin Blake. Hello! And by a man who was absent from Royal Ascot, but... He declined the royal appointment, but he was there. He got to see it all on TV. He has all the knowledge and will be back for us for the weekend preview. It is Sir Rory Delargy. Good afternoon. <laughs> How are you, sir? You, you, made, you made that sound very country there, Ken. The, the royal appointment. <laughs> the royal appointment. And he's been drinking cider since he was five. I only, I happen That's to, true as well. I happened to watch a... a a brief clip, I promise you, it was only a brief clip that Jamie Oliver, one of his old shows, and he was going into this guy who makes cider, and he said, and, and how long have you been drinking this? Well, I've been drinking cider since I was five. <laughs> what is going on? That went out on national television. Anyway, um, nothing wrong with Pulmers or Magners, by the way, depending on where you're drinking it. Now, Ascot Gold Cup or Thursday. De- or depending who gives us money. Or de- or de- <laughs> the final for all the podcast is brought to you by Bulmers. Could do it one in this heat. We're all melting oh, slowly. Oh, unbelievable. Beer gardens everywhere. <laughs> right. Um, it was far from beer gardens at Royal Ascot. It was all posh. It was Pims and it was champagne. And it was a champagne performance from that man again, Frankie Dettori on Stradivarius. Christoph Sumion came along there. Kevin Blake? Yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to do it. On the snap! But didn't quite. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't quite get there. Uh, Torcidor ran an absolute stormer and order St. George. Oh, we need to have a conversation about George. Um, Rory, take us through Stradivarius, first of all. A young horse, only four, and he has very much come of age in this division. He has. Uh, he's a very, very likable horse. This wouldn't have been. This wouldn't be the most impressive Gold Cup performance we've seen in the last decade or so. But uh, as you said, we've witnessed this horse over the last year um, progress into a, a top-class stayer. Um, he probably needs good ground or quicker. Um, but as well as being very good and proven his stamina for two and a half miles, which is always a, a question mark until you try it in the Gold Cup, um, we knew from last season that uh, as well as, uh, as being classy, he was very genuine. Um, and he went down fighting in the uh, the Champion Stairs contest at Ascot later in the season on ground that would have been softer than ideal for him. Um, but he was very, very good in his return at York. Um, and he stepped up again to win this, showed that he stayed, and, and showed that really good attitude that we've seen of him in the last year as well. So um, while I wouldn't uh, rave about the performance as if it was one of the great Gold Cup victories of all time, 
it was um, the kind of performance that makes you think this horse is going to be on the scene for a, for a fair while, and mm-hmm. he's something to really relish, uh, not just for the rest of the season in these big staying contests, but for a couple of years to come. There is the Stairs Million this season, which is an interesting innovation, I think. Uh, however, with a view to him going to the race he won last year, the Goodwood Cup, it's important to point out that he lost a shoe in this race, which I suppose ups his performance, but also that he was reported to be hind uh, lame on his right hind leg. So, Kevin, first of all, assessment of his performance. Secondly, does that concern you going forward? Um, I thought he was very good. I thought he was very good. You know, like Rory says, he had a bit to prove in terms of stamina and everything else coming in, and he answered all those calls. And look, it was just a fabulous horse race, wasn't it? You know, the Gold Cup can can be a marvellous race to watch, and we've been treated to some proper rules of it there, you know, in the last five or six years, but this was right up there. Mm. Um, the only thing it lacked, I suppose, in the finish was Order of St. George, but that didn't take away too much um, because of Azirabad, as... You know, Manny had anticipated, came there traveling, was given a beautiful ride, I thought, by Christoph Sumian, um, but just wasn't good enough. Stradivarius was a bit better than him. And um, Torciador ran a noble, noble race for, for the Harringtons. Kept galloping all the way to the line. And, you know, theoretically, you know, these, should, these could all be back again next year, the whole lot of them. And, uh, and that would be great to see. Um, Excuse me, you must make a confession here. Uh, uh, I'm eating an ice cream. <laughs> Hang on a second. You actually specifically told me you were going to wait until after the podcast to have that ice cream. In, in, in some facets in life, I am disciplined to the point of being a weirdo, but when it comes to food, I have no actual <laughs> lack of discipline. If, if there's a chocolate bar in the press, or in the fridge in my case, because I like to store my chocolate in the fridge. If there's chocolate in the fridge or an ice cream in the freezer, I find it so difficult to leave it there. It has to be eaten. It's it's like there's a little voice. That that chocolate bar takes on a little voice and starts shouting at me from the fridge, eat me, eat me. And that's why Producer D has yeah. a secret stash of food. This is true, which I discovered one day by total accident. And Kevin went, oh, that's where she's been hiding them. And she's had to go and find yeah, another hiding good. place since. Now, when it comes to sweets and what have you, it is like dealing with a child. Um, probably worse than a child actually I, I just there can't be anything kept in the house because i just eat it um and yeah is that why and, is that why you send her out in hurricanes and stuff to uh, to replenish the stash as yeah well? exactly yeah exactly you know and she, she had a very serious chat with me one day she said kevin you're so you're so focused and disciplined and so many things but why can't you just you know control yourself <laughs> when it comes to chocolate it's ridiculous seriously what is wrong with you like <laughs> But anyway, I digress. The, the 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 ice cream is nearly eaten, so we won't have to put up with me slurping and uh, and what have you for too much longer. Yeah, you slurping um, and the uh, the intimate most details of your relationship and the possible counselling that you and producer D may very well have to go through <laughs> at some particular point. Nothing's wrong with counselling, sure. Kevin. Life, can... life is good. Exactly, <laughs> life is good. It works for everybody. And D had a great time at Royal Ascot, which is the most important thing. Um, <laughs> did they leave it a year too late with Vizirabad, Kevin? Should they have come over last year with him? Um, possibly. Oh, Ooh, somebody did not like that question. <laughs> Some, Someone read. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Can. I'm oh, sorry. I, I, I mean, listen. <laughs> t- call the dogs off. That was Christoph Sumian, the Belgian bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> Christoph, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, you mustn't. You mustn't mention the French in front of Boogie. <laughs> or the Spanish, <laughs> particularly the Spanish. In fairness. Oh dear. <laughs> 
Gut. Ja, they probably did. They probably did. Um, you know, these things are always too late. You know, um, you, you need to with, with horses and like the, kind of the older I get, the more racing I see. You know, I think you realize that you, you're nearly always best striking when you have a chance. Mm. You're best striking when you have a chance when the horse is, is well and progressing and in good form and sound. Go. Don't think about next year. Just go. You know, because you just don't know what's around the corner. And all too often, there's a setback or a loss of form or some other changing variable that means that you look back and go, oh, should have went there last year or the year before. Um, which may be what the connection to Wings will be thinking in the aftermath. Oh, I wondered how long it was going to take for Kevin to do a bit of Wings bashing. It is what my new favorite sport. He'd have been... On the subject of of Vizera Bad maybe going for the race last year, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have been able to run last year. He was injured, so they may have had it in their mind then anyway. No, that's that true enough too. Yeah, yeah. After, he, after he, Dubai, he picked up an injury yeah, when he yeah. won the the pre Vicomtesse Vigier um, at Chantilly last season. Don't so go that, spoiling that things, Rory. But I, I'm pretty sure that even before the injury, they were saying, "No, no, we know go to roll. Let's go again. Uh, <laughs> <I'll> go later." <laughs> well, Delargy, what about 2016 then? Why didn't they run then? Yeah, Delargy. Hey, well, well, in 2016, he was a four-year-old, and they may have thought that um, that's, they would rather run him in the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud instead, which is fair enough if you're French. But yeah, so, you know. Aren't we lucky that, that Johnny Gosden and Frankie de Tori aren't that way inclined? Exactly. Well, exactly. exactly. Hey, yeah. hey, hey. Yeah. Well said. And, and that Aidan O'Brien was running in order of St. George as a four-year-old. Yeah. Now, that'll tell him. Um, yes. Yeah, sh- <laughs> he's run a stormer I I was in agreement with you Kevin Blake that um, Christoph Sumion has given him every single chance to go and win he just wasn't quite good enough Torciador has had to do things the hard way and he's run a stormer for his connections yeah and look he he ran an absolute belter and it seems like a a fair step up but um, Kate was saying that you know that this horse he's not the most straightforward train and that they felt coming into this um that he was bang on that he was just he was really sound and in really good form which isn't something they could have always said about this horse and, uh, and that was reflected in his performance he mm. he produced a super effort and really game kept galloping and you know two and a half miles you know stiff finish it you know there, there's no flat race in the world i might venture that tests a horse as much as this in terms of you know the, the, you can only imagine that their bodies are screaming to them to slow down um, and Torcidor was headed you would have forgiven him for, for thinking enough was enough at that stage but he kept his head down and he galloped yeah. and you, you have to really admire that and it was just a super horse race you know now the, these staying events aren't for everyone but geez in terms of a spectacle when you get a close finish whoa Jesus, if that doesn't get the get the hairs, um, yeah, Whew. I enjoyed that. That that is a horse race now. I really did. Uh, it was a it was a fantastic race. It really was from from start to finish, and it was a terrific effort from Torcidor. A brilliant winning performance from Stradivarius. Connections sounded very very confident beforehand. Obviously, he's delivered. Vizirbad has run a stormer. Um, the Harrington team can be incredibly proud. Order St. George really makes you appreciate just how good Yates was. Because that line you use, Kevin, about they must be thinking in their bodies, oh, God, this is tough. 
Um, and Yates came back for more and more and more and more. Order of St. George, on the other hand, he wouldn't have liked the ground, I suppose, but what do you think? Yeah, it could well have been. You know, look, the thing about Yates was, I think Yates was just very, very well suited to the Gold Cup tests, and that's a rare thing. You, you'll get horses who win a Gold Cup despite it not re- really being their bag, and I, I don't think a Gold Cup on fast ground is really Order of St. George's bag, and class got him an awful long way. He didn't travel as well as he can. Um, and yeah, look, he was ultimately well beaten and um, went down. Yeah, he, he, he ran well, but mm-hmm. you, you knew your fate a long way out. Um, and I wouldn't like to knock the horse too much. I'm sure he'll go back in trip with a bit of an ease in the ground and continue to be a very, very good horse. Um, but it was disappointing on the day. Here's a, here's a mad question, now, and it probably won't happen. Um, Stradivarius, what would happen now if they dropped into a mile and a half in top class company? Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, obviously we've seen that with Orders and George in the past, and, and and people poo-pooed the idea, but he ran an absolute cracker in the arc. Mm. Stradivarius ha- has has the pace to be at least as effective at some uh, certainly mm. as he showed last time out over a mile and six, mm. um, yeah, I, I, slightly I short of a mile and six. I think he'd be effective at a mile and a half, and I think it'd be really interesting to run to throw him into one of the uh, one maybe the King George. Um, maybe maybe they might think the arc themselves, especially with um, John Gosson. Uh, looked to have um, a stranglehold in the arc before the season started, and um, the Uh-oh. the two who looked who looked sure to to dominate are are now looking a little bit doubtful for that at this stage. Oh. Maybe Stradivarius is the one that comes through in the end. Isn't there Very a problem? And funny enough, let, let me bust in here, Kenrick. This is a perfect example of what I mentioned earlier. Cracksman decided not to go for the arc last year when the horse was at the height of his powers. Great How would he go next year? Now look. Yeah, now, great show. Look, it's not looking so rosy now. He might well go and win an arc still, but ooh, I, I'd be shocked if they didn't look back uh, on that horse's career and go, oh, we yeah. should have had a go when he was when, when everything was right. Um, but I think Stradivarius would, would go all right in an arc. I think he's got lots of pace. And uh, and it's not just order of St. George. Um, didn't Westerner finish second in an arc? He did, yeah. A goal cup, second yeah. or third. Um, so it's not without precedent. Maybe second to Hurricane Ross, Run. Second one of the great run. stairs was second in an arc as well. Yeah. And I think I think he has a fair touch of class, this fella. Um, and like I know they obviously they were quick to step him up to, to you know a mile six two miles as a three year old. But um, yeah, I, I I don't think he's slow. I could be wrong. Maybe he is. Um, but it'd be an interesting experiment. You know, he's won a Gold Cup now. He the pressure's off. I'd imagine that'll be his target again next year. But. I, I think he's a stayer. You know, he's going to be a National Hunt stallion. You know, so they can do whatever they want with him now. And if he's mine, I you know, I think it always is a benefit. I don't know what John Gosling intends to do, but I think it's always a benefit to a horse after even, you know, running well in the Gold Cup to have a little fresh enough because it is. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty brutal race now. Um, and come back and, and maybe run in. Um, maybe maybe go for an arc. You know, have have one run and run in an arc. I think that'd be really interesting. But if he's fine, then he surely goes to Goodwood and he surely goes for the Goodwood Cup and stays on track for the Stairs Million. You're probably right. You're probably right. But I'm just you know, I'm having a bit of fun here. I think I think it'd be I think it'd be great fun to see him in arc. Oh, it would. It w- it really would be. And uh, and seeing. Actually, who the- needs money, Kennedy? Who needs cash? Need fun, fun is what we need. Exactly. These, all these lads, they they don't need the money. They they don't need the car, and then it'll be really interesting when Order St George comes flying past him, and they're John John Gosden's just sick. Who was it got that idea in my head? That Blake. <laughs> Let me find that Kevin Blake fellow. 
Um, Stradivarius going forward for the rest of the season. So the two of you would be interested if he dropped in trip. You think he'd have the pace for it. But Rory, ultimately, is he going to be a Goodwood Cup horse, an Ascot champion stakes horse? And when I say champion stakes horse, I mean champion stairs. He's not going to take a a radical drop back to 10 furlongs and say, come get me. Jeez, that would would be fun. (laughs) It would indeed. Um, Yeah, you'd imagine so. And I'm I'm a big fan of the... um, of this particular million pound bonus, uh, and although they probably need tweaks with um, uh, the fact that a, a number of the races, um, like the Ebor and the Cesaro, which are are going to be million pound races, hmm. um, I think that's great because I, I I don't think we've had enough um, emphasis on stamina in in um, uh, pedigrees for a while now. So, some of the very best horses I've ever seen, and some of the most likable horses I've ever seen, have been stayers on the flat, um, and they they've been shunned. At studs, really, they just they, they become national hunt stallions, which is great for those of us who love jump racing. Um, but I think it'd be great if there was more emphasis on stamina and horses weren't being stepped up and tripped because they were too slow to win at a mile and a quarter. Um, I'd love to see the same prestige for for two milers as there is for milers at the moment. Um, and if you've got horses of the same sort of quality who can then meet each other at intermediate mm. distances, I think that's great for racing. It takes it'll take twenty years um, for that kind of investment to to um, bear fruit in terms of. Um, changing um, uh, the the outlook of breeders, etc. But I think it's something that's worth doing, worth trying to do. Kevin obviously would have would have strong views on this as a breeder himself. Um, so yeah, well, it, it, it's it, it's really interesting. I don't think it will take that long, Rory, because for the simple fact that um, I think breeders are going to cotton on. It's been a way I've been thinking for a couple of years now, and I'm just not in a position to really plow on with numbers, but. The, the 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 markets to, for selling tried horses that stay are just phenomenal. It's unbelievable how much money um, a, a staying horse will make. You know, a proven staying horse, and even at every level. You let's say you go buy a yearling um, by by a, by Camelot, something along those lines. You know what I'm thinking? A staying, a very much a staying stallion, and yeah. they might not run a two; they run a three. Let's say they become an average horse, rated eighty. You send them to the sales. If they're a good physical, physical scope, stay well, they'll make plenty of money to go jumping or to go abroad. Yeah. And there's there's big markets for them to go abroad because that type of horse isn't really bred well anyplace else in the world other than in Europe. Um, if, if you go a little bit higher, you get to 90 or 100, the, the money is just frightening. For, yeah. but the, the, the jumping men can't compete anymore. It's Australians. Um, the Hong Kong people want them horses as well. And and then if you go a little bit higher, if I told you some of the numbers that are knocking around there for, for 10 and 12 furlong horses that are, you know, group three winners and things like that, it would absolutely scare the pants off you. It's unbelievable how strong the market is. And I think the breeders as a group will eventually wake up to this and, and realize that um, you know, there's speed being bred every everywhere in the world and being bred well in you know Australia, America, and other places. But stamina is a different thing, and we really have that. We, we and we've got the stallions, and we've got the the race program is there, and it's only getting better, as Rory says. And I think more people are going to count on that this is this is a niche that we really should be emphasizing. Um, and like I say, in my, in my own little way, I, I, I'm going to start to contribute to that. I bought a mare by Montju there last year. And um, that's a, a full sister to a Cesarewitch winner, you know. So, again, very, very stout. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I could see myself doing more of that because um, I've had success um, breeding sprinters more so than anything. But um, I think 
that uh, breeding that stouter type of horse and 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 providing to, to those markets all around the world that want that type of horse it might well be the way to go and it is as kevin says a very very lucrative market right now let's switch to the friday and the group one feature race which there's still debate about the commonwealth cup of the coronation stakes it's still the coronation stakes that's the feature race on the friday and we got a sensational performance a record-breaking performance from Jessica Harrington's Alpha Centauri, who absolutely bolted up in a new course record time for Colm O'Donoghue, who did that nice celebration. If you can't celebrate on a big day like that, then what's the point? Uh, Rory, this was something else. Yeah, we've always liked her, haven't we? Mm. Uh, maybe the doubts crept in a little bit after she disappointed twice on, on, um, on deep ground. Um, but she looked really special early last season, uh, not just in the performances she was putting up, but also in her physique. You know, she she looked like she was going to develop really well from two to three. Um, and she had a, a physique to die for, um, fundamentally. Um, she proved that um, she really was top class when winning the Irish Guineas. There was no hint. She was got a big prize for that the day before, but she was quite well backed um, uh, on the day itself. Uh, and she proved there that she really was what we thought she was last season. And uh, I was amazed at how big a price she was for this anti-post. She's about third most favourite for this mm. in the anti-post markets. Um, again, uh, punters got stuck into her on the day. Um, and any lingering doubt that there was any hint of a fluke about the uh, um, the Kura win was blown away. She was absolutely spectacular. Um, and these conditions... Uh, are clearly hugely important to her. I, I guess there are plenty of um, sons and daughters of master craftsmen who who absolutely relish uh, very quick grind. But she's superbly bred, and it's one of the great stories of the week. You know, you, you're harking back to one of the great race mares of all time in Miesk, mm-hmm. um, and and the the Niarcas family have have kept breeding along those lines uh, for years, looking for champions. They, they've un, unearthed a few champions, mostly going back 10, 20, 30 years. Um, but there's, there's still been some decent horses along this um, this damn line. And Alpha Centauri is the next champion to come out of it. And she looked as good as anything that's gone before. Um, you couldn't fault that performance at all. Uh, and she is going to carry all before her, isn't she? I guess she's going to go to, to the Breeders' Cup at the end of the season. But wherever she goes in the meantime, um, they won't see which way she's gone. Well, she looks just different class to everything else. And, and Kevin, we should talk about Clemmy because... She stayed on to be fifth. The vibes were awful about her building up to this race. Yeah, she'll have another day. I'd say I, I don't think her work was all that good coming into it. Um, and she'll look. Phillies can be slow like, to come to hand. And um, I'd say give her another chance. It might it might not even be next time, but I'd say don't give up on her yet if you if you're a fan. Um, but it was it was really the case of. Alpha first, the rest know her. Absolutely. It really yeah. was. It, it if Clemmy uh, is going to uh, go and win a big group one, then Alpha Centurly surely, surely won't be in the lineup. Uh, is the best thing to do with this horse to take on the boys next time out? Um, she can do anything she wants, can't she? You know, geez, I wouldn't fancy giving her, giving away, you know, giving her um, a weight, weight, sorry, as the. If, uh, given that she'd have the Phillies allowance, yeah, and um, th- this was this was just spectacular, uh, and I, I hope, well, you know, she might need a small bit of time to get over this because this was a colossal performance, and I know she mightn't have looked like she was all out, but 
you know, when you break a, a track record by by near enough a second, um, you're 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 putting in a substantial effort. Um, and she was very generous with her effort all the way to the line. So uh, while it might not have looked like she was, you know, overly exerted, I'd imagine she she would have taken a fair bit out of herself. But just a brilliant performance. I'd love to see her take on the boys. Um, you know, she's firmly established as the best of the girls now. And um, yeah, take on the boys, take on the older boys. You know, how the, the, the Nyarkos family are very sporting now. Mm. They'll have a crack, I'm sure. And, um, well, what's in yeah. my head, Kevin, is, uh, is the is the Sussex takes because, with the greatest yeah. of respect to without parole, he was good, but a good luck trying to give her weight. Oh, that'd be a fun race, wouldn't it? Jesus, that'd be a fun race. Cracker, especially on really good to firm ground, good ground. Oh yeah, but it's funny like you look at physically looking at her, you know, she's a big girl, and she there was, that was all the talk, you know, this time last year about how how much of a big girl she was, and it's funny with with horses, and the more you see of them. That if you physically, if she was physically put in front of you like last March as a two-year-old, you know, big whatever she is, five twenty kilos, big big girl by master craftsman, you know, I'm sure there'd be many trainers that would say, oh, we're gonna take our time, we're gonna take our time with you, big girl, you know, no rush here, big big backward looking, we're not backward looking, but big strong filly, don't want to don't want to rush her, but it's amazing how many times you see it that the very best horses often look that way. They often look like horses that shouldn't be as precocious as they are. But I think a big part of, um, of being very, very good precocity is mixed in there with the ability. Mm. Um, and you know, that would be one of my, my thought processes and thinking that there shouldn't really be weight for age allowances at the highest level. Because I think, uh, you know, the very best three-year-olds aren't just the best three-year-olds because they're very, very good. It's because they're precocious as well. And they're just that bit more ahead of, of the, the less good ones. They're ahead so, of the yeah. curve, essentially, yeah. aren't they? Uh, yeah, and therefore, like, we, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be taking the curve into consideration with them. That's it. That, that would be my view. They are clearly younger, but I, you know, I, think, you know, I know it's an extreme example, but poor Alcantara Cliffs having to try to give way to Frankel. You know, Frankel would, would have beaten them off levels, I'm sure. And I think you, you yeah. look back at all those examples of the very best three-year-olds, they would have, they would have beaten the olders their elders off levels, you know. And this this filly, I'm sure, would beat most of the top colts around um the older colts off levels as well. Um but that that's another chat for another day. But it's just at the very highest level I, I could even argue that there, there shouldn't maybe if be a filly's allowance at the very highest level. Take them on. This is the tip top company. We want to find out what the very best is. No allowances. Level weights for everyone. And an exceptional filly. It might take an exceptional filly to go and, and win despite of being off level weights, but sure isn't that what it's all about? You know, we don't give um, we don't give less lesser hundred meter sprinters a, a head start against Usain Bolt, do we? I'll tell you what, Kevin Blake, you, you want a sex allowance for female jockeys, you want horses to race <laughs> off level weights. I mean you can't have it both ways, man. You know, it's just your your anti female. Oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a sex allowance for for the very best female jockeys, though. Uh, yes, oh, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, the, the female bias that comes out and Kevin, oh, cheer, watch out for his next article no, on uh, and, and And just, just to clarify, my, my view with the female riders is they should have an, an extended allowance system um, to to essentially make their claim last longer. That yes, would be yes, my yes. View. We're all aware once, of your once, views, Blake. Once they, once they reach a certain number of winners, they should be off level level yes. terms because just as, just as with the horses, um, exceptional... Female riders and exceptional fillies 
um, are well able to compete with um, the very best men. Yes. Jolly good. Well, well done to you, young lady. Uh, you're a fine rider, and now you can compete with the boys. <laughs> Blow his Cuban cigar into the air. Right, the Commonwealth Cup went to Ectidar for Sir Michael Stout, <laughs> Jim Crowley. Good luck with that one, Kevin. Hurricane of abuse and shooter. To be fair, Kevin, campaigner. Campaigner. <laughs> I don't know. He's campaigning for equality. Uh, Sansa Mali's run a fine race for Richard Fry. You kept hitting the board. Emblazoned uh, for that man, Frankie Dettori and John Gosden yet again. But Ektidar. <sighs> Put it this way he wasn't Sioux Nation, so I wasn't cheering him on, Rory. <laughs> um. Probably not as good as the um, as the previous uh, renewals of the um, of the Commonwealth Cup. Um, I would say, although Etidar is clearly very very talented, um, he veered off a straight line late in the day, but he still held on, um, you know, as if he was perfectly willing. Uh, and it was a it was a nice performance. The worry for me is that um, there are. It, it looks a strong division that he's in at the moment and um, it'll take a fair bit more improvement for him to be competing against the older horses uh, later in the season. Um, but still, you know, it, it, looked a, it looked a strong enough race on paper. I, as I said, we've seen some very, very good races for the Commonwealth Cup and it looked good on paper. I'm just not sure it quite um, developed as expected on the day. There are a couple of disappointments. Equilateral, who's clearly very, very good, um, didn't give his running on the day. A few of Charlie Hills' horses not not running to their mm. best, and obviously he was very inexperienced coming into it. Invincible Army, who looked really um, rock solid, you know, very very consistent horse. He didn't give his running either. Um, and Sioux Nation, you know, um, that was a, a pretty shocking effort from him. So there were disappointments in the race, and maybe it wasn't as strong as it might have been, and not as strong as it looked on paper, um, but. You know, it's been a tremendous addition to the program. I think most people looking at this, um, who've been looking at watching Royal Ascot for for years, have wondered why we didn't have this race before. Yeah. Um, it, it's a it's a really welcome addition, um, and we shouldn't really knock the winner that much because he's clearly um, top class. This is a deservedly a Group One contest. I think there are a lot of races at Royal Ascot that we tend to rave about. Um, wearing rose-tinted glasses because they're, you know, they're group two, group threes, uh, listed races that maybe aren't, you know, aren't all that strong. And we tend to go overboard about easy winners of those races, but the Commonwealth Cup is a, is a genuine group one. And therefore we should give Exeter all the, all the credit he deserves at the moment for all the were disappointments in the race. There were plenty of disappointments, Kevin Blake, but I think to briefly touch on the point that Rory has just brought up, for years we saw horses campaigned at the 2,000 guineas at Newmarket only to then drop back to sprint distances, almost with the trainers and the owners knowing full well this horse is not going to get a mile, but we don't really have many options. Now we have a genuine program for these speedy three-year-olds to go for, and while this one may not have lived up to expectations, it's still a hugely important race for Royal Ascot. Big time. They, they've built a program around it as well, you know, in the months leading up to it. it it's a fantastic addition. It's here to stay. Um, and while this year's renewal fell apart, might be a bit harsh, but when you get, you know, pretty much all the fancied horses disappointing, um, I don't think fall up, describing it as having fallen apart is, is too harsh. Um, but take nothing away from the Fav. That was, that, sorry, the winner. That was nothing to do with him. And I mean, he did what he needed to do to get the job done in the day. So hats off to 
to Ektar, and Sir Michael. Um, Sands of Mali as well around another belter. He's a lovely horse. Yeah, he really is. Uh, he's a storming horse for Richard Valley and surely is not far away from succeeding in group company. Uh, let's go to Saturday and the Diamond Jubilee Stakes. Not much to talk about here, lads, so we should be done pretty quickly, I should imagine. <laughs> Deary me. Uh, Harry Angel, we'll talk about him first of all because his race is done at the start. Um, his hind legs, he's kicked both of them out. The left one gets trapped at the running board and then the stalls open and that is that. Adam Kirby looks behind him straight away. He's done well to actually get back into some kind of contention, but his race was done. Um, Adam Kirby was quoted afterwards as saying, it's no one's fault, there's nothing you can do. Clive Cox was keeping it together. I'm not entirely sure he felt the same way, Kevin. Um, look, Adam Kirby said he was okay, and they let him go. Um, I think it would be an unfair expectation for to to, to say, well, uh, Adam Kirby should have known the horse's the horse's foot was up on the board. Um, there was, you know, the, the the overhead shot that ITV had, you know, showed what Adam Kirby would have seen, um, and the the horse had a stall's blanket on. You have to look really closely to see. You can just see the horse, the glint of the horse's shoe up on the board. Yeah, we had to but, slow it you know, to be have, able to properly see it, Kev. And you have to put yourself in Adam Kirby's shoes. You can imagine the the the, the chaos in his mind. In that moment, he's riding a big race fav, you know, a horse that can get worked up, a horse that can be difficult in the stalls. He's gone in with the hood on. He's put his head down as if to go under, which is a nightmare for everyone. He hasn't done that. The hood has come off. He's lost his irons. He puts his iron back in, and all he wants to do is get ready to go, ready to go, ready to go, go. He wants to go, as get every, himself in order, and go as quick as possible, because the longer he stays in that stall, the more potential there is for Harry Angel to do something really stupid. So he's Harry's kicked out his hind legs over the back. He's put his head down. Kirby just wants him on all four legs with his two with his two feet and his irons, and he's ready to go. He, he puts his foot back in his irons. He looks up. He thinks everyone's okay. He looks back. I don't know. I think he's already said okay, and you can just see him glance. And maybe only only Adam could tell you. Maybe in that split second. He's glanced and he's seen the horse's foot up in the running board, maybe, but it was too late. He'd already said, okay, starter, let him go. You can't blame the starter. Mm. It, you know, it, it's Adam's job to relay whether he's happy or not, and he gave the okay. And uh, that's this isn't designed to blame Adam Kirby. Um, it's the, well, in, in some ways, it's designed to absolve the starter. Mm. It's just really unfortunate. It's just really unfortunate. And the people that it hurt most were Adam Kirby, and Clive Cox and his staff and everyone involved just really unsatisfactory but look at the end of the day the horse has a bit of an issue with stalls and it's the responsibility of his connections to do everything they can to make sure things go smoothly and they did not go smoothly this time and they paid the price ultimately but it went very smoothly for Merchant Navy who is not Australian he is Irish he may be Australian by birth but he's ours and he's put up a fantastic performance for Aidan O'Brien. Uh, we've talked before about the fact that he's technically a three-year-old, but racing off four-year-old uh, conditions in this race. And it's the last time, almost certainly, Rory, that we'll see him on a race course. But when that Coolmore brochure comes out for the Southern Hemisphere, it'll say Group 1 winner down under, Group 1 winner in the UK, uh, Group winner in Ireland. And uh, he's really done a fantastic piece of work for Aidan O'Brien. He has, and that really is job done. I, I was I was reading the um, the Monday jury in the Racing Post, and 
um, one of the questions was about who would be champion sprinter at the end of the year. And most people said Merchant Navy. And I thought um, I thought the same as you. I, I, I thought given he'd now achieved what they, would, they needed for him to have won um, a group one races in Australia and in, in Europe, um, that there was no reason to to do anything else with him. Mm, he's um, that uh, you know he's 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 booked his place at stud. Um, I didn't know what the what the the plan was, but that that's exactly what I would have thought. Um, and I said so. I I think he's he's not lucky, um, but it certainly helps him that that both the favourite and the runner up were were badly compromised at the start. Mm. Um, City Light missed the break and ran an absolute stormer. Um, took a dime by short head, and he was up. A stride after the line as well. It was a really tight finish. Oh, it was. Um, so um, uh, you, you feel for Sebastian Vettel as well um, uh, with uh, with City Light, and he's clearly going to uh, win a, uh, a big prize before the end of the season himself. And Maurice de Geest, I suppose, uh, back at uh, Deauville would would suit him. Um, but yeah, the story of the race um, was what happened at the start, and I I, I um, tweeted straight afterwards that I, I thought he should have been withdrawn, and there was. Um, I, I don't think I've ever had as many um, retweets, replies, and, and people agreeing and disagreeing with me. Um, but I think Kevin summed it up really well there. I think in terms of what happens at the moment, you have a set of uh, procedures, set of rules, and they were followed. Um, Adam, when he said, when you say wait to the starter, you know it's got to be, you've got to um, say okay shortly after that or make sure that you, that someone... Um, uh, comes to your aid, takes you out of the stalls, or if, if it's a a, um, a flag starts, um, grabs a hold of you and sorts something out. Um, but if you're just asking them to wait in the stalls when these sprinters want to get going, you can't have them waiting there for a minute. Um, everything has to be dealt with quickly. So once he's given the okay, Robbie Supple initially waited when, when he heard the rider calling across. Um, and with the field wanting to get away, you've got to do something quickly. My point there is, I think... Um, there is a rule that says if a horse gets his leg over the side of the stall or over the front of the stall, they're automatically withdrawn. Uh, that might have changed slightly now, but don't, don't quote me on the, on the, the current rule. But I think if a horse um, kicks out like he did, especially when he appears to be panicking, and both legs are above the back of the stall, I think in that scenario, you, there has to be a rule that says that horse must be checked over to make sure it's mm -hmm. okay. So on the day, no one did anything wrong, but I think you can see that that's unsatisfactory. And someone needs to look at it and say, right, if this happens again, how will we deal with it? There's no point saying everything's grand and giving it a thumbs up and say no one did anything wrong. You know, stop talking about it. Let's just move on. You need to learn every time an incident like this happens and work out what you could do. There is a possibility. I know it's, a, it's um, it wouldn't be easy to do, but you can actually define the horse as a non-runner even after letting them out of the stalls. Oh, this, um, this if you can see that like he's compromised. justice refund to me. No, 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 no. The, 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 pro the problem with justice refunds is that the authorities basically wash their hands and say, well, the bookmakers can give the money back. They're happy enough doing that. Everyone, everyone kind of um, gets what they deserve in the end. But if a horse is, is clearly compromised at the start like he was, there, sh there should be a review of it. Or if the starter, if it's clear to the starter after he's let them go that the horse shouldn't have, the race shouldn't have been started because, of the, you know, um, the jockey's not on the horse uh, that's the only rule they have at the moment. But clearly, if a horse is stuck in the in the the stall as he was, um, it's an unfair start. Mm. You that you then make that call straight away. We're very bad in in Britain, and I imagine Ireland isn't any better. Um, horses are withdrawn at the start all the time, 
and punters and pundits and people who are who are commentating often don't know. There seems to be really bad communication between um, the starter and those who are broadcasting the race. So we'll often see a horse taken away and go, well, is that, you know, or a horse not starting a race and go, well, was, was that under orders? Was it not under orders? Is, is there a rule four? Is, have you lost your money if you backed him? And you often wait five minutes after the race to find out. Yeah. Whereas there should be really clear communication and there's going to be very difficult scenarios like this. But um, the other thing you can do is if you know there's an incident at the start, the starter communicates to, I think it's the clerk of the scales, and says, we need to review the start of this race. So the, the second they cross the line, they go, and the winner is one, one second, number two, third, number three, steward's inquiry into the start. So hold all tickets, we're having a steward's inquiry into the start. You look at the start, and you decide whether it's fair or not. If it's not fair, then you deem one of the horses a non-runner. Mm. Um, and you move on. And we're not set up for that. They do that in... In other jurisdictions, they do it perfectly well in the states. Yeah, I was I'm sure say, they in do America, it in they do that. Well. Yeah. So that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that um, our procedures are more robust. I, I don't want to be giving out to to um, Robbie Supple or to Adam Kirby. I think in the scenario, the way things unfolded, they both did what they you know what they could, um, and it's just that there was something bigger that went wrong there that we probably can avoid if we work on it in the future. But I, I could see the case that if a horse kicks out and their legs go out over the, the structure, if you know what I mean, I think the only way you could do I don't. I wouldn't be in agreement that if that happens, they should be automatically taken out and checked just because I think that would be unfair and everything else. Um, I, I could go along with a theory that, right, if they kicked out over the, back, over the top, that they're automatically withdrawn. I would soon yeah. go for something like that. Because I just think that a lot of the things we do with the stalls in this part of the world and with other things, they're 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 almost set up in favour of the horse that does the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, I you know no, that's a fair like, point. Like, yeah. like tricky horses being allowed load last, I think it, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I think tricky I think tricky horses should be loaded first. If they don't go in, they're gone. Because you know, if if a horse, if my if if I'm a trainer and owner or a jockey or anything else, and I've done the right thing with my horse and I've got them really well schooled at the gates and, and they're they in there for in 10 like minutes lamb, and they yeah. stand and they have to wait for 10 minutes because some old yak trained by Johnny down the road has never seen a set of stalls in his life um, it's not fair it's not fair that, that, Johnny that down happen. the road is going to take great offence to that Kevin <laughs> sorry sorry Johnny but you're a cowboy um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you know what I mean And there's, there, they have a system there um, well, they certainly did when I worked over there. But in England, that you can you can request to be put in last, and yeah. every time you do, you you get a strike basically, and you only have three strikes. And after that, I think you have to do a stalls test. Um, so you can make the request with the time you really need it, and and they have to grant it. But I I would say uh, any horse that gives issues at the start should be on a watch list. And yeah, if you're yeah. on that watch list, you go in first, and you get you get. They'll give you every opportunity to go in, but if you're acting a Mickey, um, yeah, you're what you're there, there are there are two different types of horses there. There are horses who will go into the stalls perfectly ha- fine, but then are claustrophobic and panic if yeah. they're in too long. And there are horses who play up and don't want to go in, but are actually fine when they're in the stalls. And the yeah. ones who are just difficult, I would agree, should go in first. And if they don't go in after two goals, you'd lead them away and they're, they're withdrawn. The horses who... who um, are good at loading, but then get a bit frightened when they're in there too long. They should be going in reasonably late. But again, 
um, we should be concentrating on the whole loading process being as quick and as efficient as possible. Yeah, we shouldn't have exactly. scenarios where they're in the source for 10 minutes. Yeah, and then just, just to go off on a slight tangent here, we had an incident. Oh, God, I forget what race it was. What was the, the, where the filly pulled off the, the, or the colt, sorry, pulled off two shoes. And uh, there oh, was a we huge were, delay. We were delayed for minutes. eight minutes uh, afterwards. Yeah, Every race got delayed eight minutes. It was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was over ten minutes, and they're all. It was a two-year-old race, and all oh. down at the start, a horse of Michael Bell's um, twisted the shoe and then pulled off another. Just bad luck. But mm. the whole field had to a big field of two-year-olds. It was the Windsor Castle. Big field of two-year-olds had to wait. Wasn't it the Windsor Castle? I, I, they had to wait down at the start. It was the Windsor Castle. I'm, I'm, they had to wait, I'm they had to wait down at the start now. for ten minutes. Um, and that's tough on two-year-olds. And th- and that not one of those horses that was left waiting at the start. It was none of their fault. It wasn't their no. fault. Mm. You know, and should they be... And there was a very impressive lady on, on Look on Sunday. Um, oh, what was her name? She's the boss woman in, in Racing Victoria. Oh, I, I'll get her name here and give her a name check. Because she was fabulously impressive, I thought. Um, the Australians, a, they, on, they are, aren't they? Oh, on, on a wide variety of subjects now. Geez, she was impressive. And um, she was asked the question, you know, would this be allowed to happen in Australia? And I know, you know, if we're going to different jurisdictions, of course that wouldn't happen in our jurisdiction, but uh, I, I'm inclined to believe her. And it's just unfair, you know? Yep. It's just there's too much unfair. And I, I don't is, know how you police that, but it's, that's, there's, that's a, there's an overlying attitude that, that um, how, how you do that, the, the bottom line is, um, listen, the owners pay good money and you've got to look after the owners. Well, you've got to look at the owners as a whole, yeah. not look at an individual owner. There's no point saying, uh, we, we, there's a horse got loose um, yesterday at Wolverhampton and, and was a very, very well-backed favourite um, into, into six to four, got loose before the start. Um, looked like he was going to go straight into the stalls as in run straight into the structure of the stalls, managed to pull himself in time, then got loose again and went back. I'm not sure whether his, his chance was compromised, but horses like that will always be allowed to run as long as the owner is, is happy for them to run. It, it's like, oh, we're just here for a day. Right, I think if an owner wants his horse to run, he clearly wants the horse to run well. If horses are meant to run on their merits, and a horse, that the Wolverhampton example would, wouldn't perhaps be a good when the horse finished third in the end. But where a horse has got loose and has galloped headlong in a panic for a circuit and a half, and then, then they decide to run it because, well, the owners are here. Um, you have to run your horses on their merits. And a horse that's done two circuits of the track surely can't be running on its merits yeah. afterwards. It was, so you can't, you can't have one rule superseding the other. It was James Watt, Kevin, was it? I think it was, yeah. On the Saturday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, went, it went on forever. Yeah. So what is that uh, lady's name, Kevin, so that we can give her a proper name check so on the Final Furlong podcast from Look on Sunday? Yeah, Amanda Elliott. She's the, um, she's the chair, the first female chair of the Victoria Racing Club. Um, well worth chasing that up now that was that was as good a racing interview as I've heard for a little while now to very fair, good to be fair the guy who represented the BHA with Ollie on ITV was very good as well I thought and yeah and, 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 and another Australian what are the odds yeah another Aussie but um, he should be up more front and centre as well because that is absolutely needed uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything there is to cover from that race uh, Kevin yeah. obviously the disappointing aspect was Red Kirk Warrior. He never got into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you feel, you know, I, I love bashing the Aussies as much as anyone, but you, you'd love to see um, them rewarded for their endeavor by um, and the bravery by, but with a good run. 
Um, but he was well below his best. But look, they seem to have come out of it positively enough and mm. are talking about going for the July Cup. So I hope for, for their sake that he runs a much better race there. And that'd be fantastic to see. And Wesley Ward with his 10th winner of the week. Hats off to Peter T. Fornital. Do it the week. Well, of his career. 10th winner all told. Yeah, 10th winner all told. To be fair, to have 10 winners at Royal Ascot in the short space of time that he has from the States is just ridiculous. It's class. It's unbelievable. uh, And well done to him for doing so. It's been a long week, folks, and I'm absolutely shattered. But uh, bound for nowhere, who was talked up by Peter T. Fornital and rubbished by a member of this podcast. Oh, Peter, you're bound for nowhere with that selection anyway. Uh, ran a stormer, <laughs> to be fair. So uh, so well done to him. And who knows, maybe he'll be in the July Cup. Uh, we shall see. Right, let's go back to the Oaks Forum, shall we? As um, Magic Wand fairly reversed the Epsom form in the Ribblesdale uh, with a very impressive performance. Sorry, a four-length winner over Wild Illusion. This was more like it from Magic Wand. Yeah, I think I think you'd put it almost entirely down to to ground, wouldn't you? Mm. Um, she she was the Chester form was turned around um, comprehensively in the Oaks. There were reasons for that. I think the the Oaks winner wasn't seeing the best effect at Chester, but Magic One was impressive there on, on good ground um, and seemed to struggle on softer in the Oaks. I thought she'd she would um, struggle to um to lead from stall one because it's not the easiest place to to get to the front at, at Ascot over the the mile and a half um but she had no problem um getting there and then what she was i think it was really important to be to be handy on the round course at Ascot um for mm. the, the vast majority of the week uh, and therefore there are a few horses you would mark up who were held up um in uh, in group races um over the sort of mile and a quarter mile and a half um at Ascot but magic won 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 impressively from wild illusion Wild Illusion, you know, she's been very consistent, um, but you're beginning to see her limitations after mm-hmm. um, a three good runs in, in, in group ones this season. Um, but Magic One was impressive in slamming her by four lengths, and there were some nice fillies in behind. Um, so you, you've got to give her full credit for that. And, and the, the other thing you've got to say is that Aidan's got a, a tremendous record of improving fillies who've looked kind of, ah, yeah, she's a... She's a group two, group three filly. She'll she'll win something later on, and suddenly turning them into into multiple group one winners. Yeah. Um, he's done it. He's done it time and time again in the past. Uh, and Magic Wand could be the next off the um, off the conveyor belt. Um, certainly looked very impressive. I think she was helped um, by conditions and by racing handily. But you can't knock a um, a four length win from a filly of Wild Illusions class. Uh, and the others were well stretched out behind her as well. So. Uh, I'd be I'd be positive about her going forward. And Kevin, surely we'll see her at the Curra next in the Irish Oaks. You'd imagine so. That would look the natural target. And look, this was a, a big step up in the right direction. But you know, she's taken such a big step up from her her maiden form uh, when winning at Chester. Like like Rory says, that the ground probably didn't help her in the Oaks and, and back on a sounder surface. She was very good here. You know, beating a rock solid, but probably limited at the very highest level. While delusion. You know, the Oaks was probably her big opportunity. I think she she would have enjoyed the ground that day, mm. and um, she couldn't quite get it done. And um, yeah, I think that that's pretty much her. And I'm certain in this type of surface, that's pretty much her. But Magic Wand um, can go on again, and we know with Aidan O'Brien and, and these fillies, they can keep keep improving and keep going forward. So 
Uh, magic Wand, I wouldn't rule out even more improvement from her. Nice performance. Quick line, Kevin, on Hunting Horn, who was visually impressive for Camelot. Yeah, first Royal Ascot win for Camelot. He would make it two um, by the end of the week. And that was a good solid effort, wasn't it? Um, you know, this wasn't the spiciest edition of the Hampton Court, it's probably fair to say, but a couple of disappointments in behind um, at the front end of the market, which renders it a little bit less solid. But, but again, not Hunting Horn's fault, and he did what he needed to do and did it well, won by uh, the bones of five lengths. So he is a horse that um, this represented a good step forward for him as well. Um, he looks to stay well to me. I'd say he wouldn't have any trouble um, going back up to a mile and a half. And, um, and yeah, look, just, just a nice colt without really setting me alight terribly. So Michael Stout's won the Hardwick Stakes 11 times now, this time with Crystal Ocean, who went off a very short price favourite. Ryan Moore, for the third year in a row, rode a Sir Michael Stout horse. In the two previous years, he'd gotten it wrong, uh, but no mistake this time around. It has to be said that this race needed to be reopened during the week and was wake as water, as Kevin Blake would say. But that being said, Kevin, um, Rishi's very taken with this horse, and there's a lot to be said for where he can go from here. Rory, I'll start with you instead, actually. King George, next, you would imagine, for Crystal Ocean. Just how high can he sail? Yeah, it's it's um it's a little bit of a conundrum because this this um was as weak a hard rig as you'll see. Um and there were disappointments in it on the day as well. Um but the reason it was weak is because no one wanted to take Crystal Ocean on and he's he's the type of horse who Sir Michael Stout made his reputation with um back in the glory days. Um his his reputation has always been, it's become a cliche now, that he would he would um bring these slightly backward three year olds, look after them not blow their minds and turn them into champions at four and five. And Crystal Ocean, I think a lot of people fancied him in the Derby last year, but Sir Michael didn't want to go down that path. Uh, he knew the horse would um, would progress really well this season. Um, and he's done exactly that. He, he's passed every test, um, including, you'd say, the St. Ledger. No, he was only second in the St. Ledger in the end. I thought it was a very good St. Ledger. Um, and he stepped up and put up a career best performance to finish second there. But he's certainly fully effective at a mile and a half um and he's um he's looked very very good he was he probably put up a better performance uh, when hacking up in the aston park stakes at newbury uh, prior to the hardwick but sir michael has also uh, knows exactly which horses to bring through the hardwick to bigger things later on um and you have to really respect his chances um given how well he goes at ascot if he goes for the king george and there's more improvement to come because that's the way the man trains and um He's effective on on soft ground and on good to firm. Um, you know, he, it's probably ideal for his development that he didn't have a, a particularly hard race in winning the Hardwick because um, it just means that he's that bit fresher for the rest of the season. I think you, you've got to be excited by him. Yeah, he does look an exciting horse, Kevin. And with the current conundrum that is Cracksman, with Enable on the sidelines and with Capri, don't know what really is going on there with him. King George is just his, isn't it? I really like this horse. Um, I really like him. Uh, I think he'll be top class. Um, I think, you know, it's uh, it's one of our favourite cliches, the old Michael Stout improving four-year-old. But this would be a genuine case of one because the whole way through last season, you could just see the penny dropping with him. You know, he was very raw. 
um, in the Dante last season. And you could just see as the season went on, he was just the penny was dropping, penny was dropping. And look, he wouldn't have taken your eye out and the other day, but that's just him. He's just a, a rock solid, straightforward ride, and he'll gallop. Um, and there's a lot to be said for it. And I think he's very good. I think he'll, he'll continue to get better the better company he's in. And yeah, I, no, no, a lot to like about him. I think he finished second in a good St. Ledger last year, despite uh, maybe not seeing it out quite as well uh, as certainly not Capri, but. Um, he travelled notably well there. And, yeah, look, I, I think this is a proper horse. Um, I wouldn't like to rule out him going to the very, very top. I think he's he's a proper horse. I like him. He's a proper horse. <laughs> Who would you prefer in the King George if you preferred anything in the race? I know it's a hard race to... It's hard to work out who's going to be in it. But in fairness, there aren't... It's not that you get a list of horses as long as your arm who'll run in the King George. You can you can narrow it down to, to seven or eight with, who are likely to turn up yeah. with chances. yeah. And, you know, with, with a with with a, a cloud hanging over a cracksman, he'd be probably the leading candidate, wouldn't he? Yeah, I wouldn't be afraid of anything with him now. I wouldn't be afraid of anything. Um, so yeah, let's let's go there. Let's find out. I'm excited about him, and he's not a horse that will ever, I think, you know, take your eye out. But you don't need to. You don't need to do that to be a star. I think he could be very good. He is the kind who's only just going to do enough, but that's probably going to give him a, a, a longer career. Um. God, when you look at the King George, actually, as highlighted by Rory, it's not a whole lot to be afraid of, really, is there? No, I don't think so. They're really... Oh, well, sorry. Oh, sorry now. Sorry. Oh, you got Massar oh, in there. Here, no, here we go. Oh, no, no, you're both wrong. Oh, is, is Yucatan in there? You're both... <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he is, actually. No, he's not. No, you're, you're no, both you're both wrong. Horse, Yucatan. You're both wrong. Um, we've, we've spotted the winner... And it's eminent. <laughs> Poor old eminent. Yes. Finally, people have copped on and realise you're overrated, son. Overrated big time. Uh, Shesham Stakes. This is the story of the weekend, Blake. Arthur Kitt. What a brilliant commentary from Richard Hoyles and what a brilliant story. Yeah, fabulous. Fabulous. Um, yeah, I'd say, I assume most of the listeners know the story at this stage, but... Um, Arthur Kitt's mother was Sealing Kitty, the one that Queen Mary in 2012. And uh, when she was giving birth to the colt that became Arthur Kitt, um, there were serious complications and she died. And um, Arthur Kitt himself had to be resuscitated six times. Um, he was in a bad, bad way and um, was raised by a foster mayor. And he comes out two years later and emulates his late mother in winning a, a Royal Ascot two year old race. So it was. A fabulous story, and uh, I thought obviously biased, but I thought ITV covered it really, really well. Mm, excellent. And um, that that's a story that would have resonated with people, no matter um, how interested they were in racing, um, or how how deep their knowledge was. I think that's a that's a real point and shoot story, and I think they they, they nailed it. Um, having the pictures, the the picture there of uh, of a young Arthur kid there with his foster mother and old coloured mare. You know, it was uh, it's a, a beautiful image. You know, Chase Moore Farm, which is Andrew Black's farm, where uh, she, where he was bred. You know, they initially put up that picture, and it's an absolute belter. And it was just one of those. Now there was a great feel around the place afterwards. You know, I think um, his connections were just in, in in dreamland. Really, you know, it's one of those Andrew Black said he was he was thinking about the Cheshire before the, the horse was ever even born. You know, he was thinking about it when he when he put together the mating. And um, it wouldn't be a million to one that he's telling the truth either. So, 
um, it was just a great result. Great result. I can, I can only imagine the satisfaction and the, and the sadness in a way that his connections would have felt because it would have brought back memories of seeing Kitty. Um, but all in all, a very, very happy occasion for all, I think. And Kevin, we've seen ads in the racing media and on social media over the last few years and, and years gone by of the desperation and the need for foster mares. And this really highlights just how important they are. Yeah, and look, the things are better than they used to be. There, there would be specialist operations that would bring on uh, foster mares every year. And while it doesn't sound like the nicest thing, it's a, it's a small bit like, like the, the dairy industry in that the, the foal um, would be would be taken away from the foster mother at an early age and hand-raised, much like a calf is taken away from a cow, a dairy cow very early, and is hand-raised. And um, and those those mares are made available to to anyone that's in a, a desperate situation you know whereby um a, a mare has been lost giving birth or a mare rejects a foal which can happen they can some some mares just won't take to a foal and they, they'll quite literally try and kill the foal and kick it to death and um, obviously in that case the, the foal needs to be taken away immediately and a foster mare found and i um, mean some mares and i suppose the least desperate of situations some mares just don't have a very good quality of milk and the foal would benefit from being under a foster mare and um and in even less desperate situations um sometimes the bigger operations especially if they're sending a mare to america or japan or any place to be covered um it's it would generally wouldn't be considered a good idea to try and put a young foal through that so and they'll foster they'll foster that foal and put it under a mare um, the Clydesdales are very popular, so the Budweiser horses. Have, That's interesting. Why they, why are they, they so popular? They are, they're excellent mothers, and they have wonderful temperaments. Right. Um, and the quality of their milk is is tremendous. So, um, to to throw in a desiism in amongst it randomly, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that's the thinking. And you know, Jenner Andrew Black commented on it as well. Generally, foals that have been raised by a foster mother um, have excellent temperaments. Um, because at the end of the day, foals will, in, in behaviour terms, will take on a lot of uh, what their mother shows them. So if you, if if, if a, a third, even no matter how um, spicy bred a third a thoroughbred foal might be, if you put them under a, an absolute bomb-proof Clydesdale mare, they they will take on that, and, and the mother will show them that it's, you know humans are actually okay, and you don't need to run away every time you see them, and um, you know because highly strong thoroughbred mares they, they wouldn't necessarily give the best example to their foals when it comes to dealing with people so and while it is not always a situation that's brought about um willingly um and often more often than not it isn't it isn't a choice but there can be some positive um some positive benefits of it as well but in this case obviously losing a mare um like seeding kitty was just an absolute disaster Terrible. and luckily luckily for them they had um, a filly out of her prior to Arthur Kit called um, called Eartha Kit, I believe. They got black yeah. type, um, a pivotal filly, and I, I can only imagine that she goes around covered in cotton wool because she'll be a wonderful broodmare prospect for for Andrew Black and that team as well. How far can Arthur Kit go? Hard to know. Sheshams can be a funny race. And look, this fella stays very well. Ceiling Kitty has given him a lot of um, precocity. Um, you know, it's mad, really, for Camelot to be out winning in, in May. Mm. You know, Camelot was especially precocious for Montju, and I still don't think he debuted until until July. I, I did an awful lot of research on Montju a couple of years ago, and it's 
amazing just how strongly he stamped his stock in terms of stamina and being a bit, little bit late to mature. There was very, very few exceptions. I think Camelot and Camelot was, was the closest thing you'd get to an exception for him because I think, um, and I never fully updated this once he passed away, but I think there is only two sons or daughters of Montjuic to ever win at a mile or sh- a group race over a mile or shorter as a three-year-old or up. Camelot. And one was Camelot winning, winning the Guineas. Yeah. And one was Bracelet winning um, an Irish Guinea yeah. trial, I think, over seven. And, of course, she went on to win an Irish Oaks, didn't she? Or yeah. a Ribblesdale or Ribblesdale, something like that yeah, over yeah. a mile and a half. It was Royal Ascot, yeah. Um, so he was an incredibly... You could set your watch by Montjuic. He was just an incredible influence for stamina. And they generally just took time. They took a lot of time. And Camelot was out early for Montjuic. And this this fella, thanks to Seedling Kitty and, and a bit of Camelot as well, um, to be out winning in May. I, I don't think there's any other son or daughter of Camelot that have won. Um, you, you know, I think that the next earliest, I, I'll get my phraseology right, the next earliest winner by Camelot thus far was two months after, um, was two months after Arthur Kitt. I think he had one last year to win in July. And, you know, it just, it just, hasn't tended to happen yet and I wouldn't be surprised if that's a trend that emerges over time that they're just not early and um, but Seedling Kitty left her stamp on this fella and uh, in terms of in precocity terms but I start, I think this fella will stay well you know he got out of pace he finished the race very strongly um, he'll stay certainly stay a mile this year and you'd imagine next year 10 and, and probably 12 will be his bag how far can he go I don't know it looked a good session on paper there was a couple of blowouts in amongst the leading contenders Natalie's so joy I'm among them. Big time. Uh, and I'm inclined to take a wait and see with the Cheshire this year. Mm, okay. It was a fantastic commentary from Richard Hoyles. Obviously biased, but oh, listen to it again. Listening to it, it. Listening to it live, it was just goosebumps. It was really something else. Uh, quick word on the Windsor Castle Stakes and Soldiers call from Rory. I'd get a quick word from Kevin on uh, on Soldier's Call because um, I, I missed the race live. So, um... Well, Kevin, so, Soldier's Call, <laughs> so, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, um, showed loads of speed, stuck on well. Um, you'd have to be delighted for Archie Watson, who seems like a young trainer that, that very much knows what he's doing. And, you know, it was, it was a big um, boost for him to get horses off Clipper Logistics. And he's gone and delivered a, a Royal Ascot winning two-year-old. So fair play to him. A um, couple of eye catchers and behind Saber was eye catching after missing the kick. Flew home, I think, the, even though it probably wasn't by design. A return to a quieter ride seemed to suit him very well. Tom Carlos and was that, a huge eye catcher. Oh, Tom Carlos, yeah, oh. you know, and that would have that would have been the last thing anyone would have expected because he had three runs. He jumped out and, and made all to to beat winners at the Cara last time, and and he ran like a horse that had never seen a race course in his life. He missed the kick. He was totally outpaced, and he flew home. It was. Um, that was not something um, anyone associated with the horse would have expected, but he's clearly a very good two-year-old. To be fair to him, to make up at that much late ground, um, he'll have he'll have another day. I'd imagine he'll return to six furlongs next time, and um, and yeah, he he should hopefully step up again. You know, he's got placed in a Windsor Castle. Um, shout out to his to his breeders again, who who had a day to remember uh, on this particular day because not only did Windsor Castle go and get them some some uh, listed place at Royal Ascot. Um, this fella's half-sister, El Nadim Starr, 
won a listed race at Ayr. <laughs> so uh, a huge day for Fancy Feathers, the mayor, and for for um, for for PJ and um, <clears throat> Philip that that have the mayor now. And you know that's the, that's the, st- the stuff the dreams are made of for small breeders. So oh, the coveted the coveted Royal Ascot Air Double. That's what you want. That's well, two bits of two bits of black type uh, winning black type and place black type picked up on the same day. Remarkable. And you know neither of them had black type going into the day. That is something that just doesn't happen no matter what level you're breeding at. That's a, a very remarkable event. Um, so so for it to happen to to smaller breeders with. Um, with a mare like that is is some boost, and uh, hopefully there'll be a, there'll be a big touch down the line for the lads with with um, her upcoming offspring. Yeah, for the second year in a row, Coolmore had a horse called Fairyland who gets beaten in the Albany Stakes. This time it was Aidan O'Brien's horse, who ran well for a long way. She was on the other side. Main addition though ends up winning. Quick word on her for uh, Mr. Mark Johnston, Rory. Uh, I thought it was a really likable performance um, from her because uh, there were two races. There was a race on the far side. There was a race up the centre, and she had to do an awful lot of work uh, to win her race. And it looked like the far side were, were going to leave them behind. I think maybe they ended up going too fast um, on the far side because there was a there was a um, uh, the leader on that side went very quick, and the other were keen to uh, to keep in touch. But I thought she showed um, real resolution um, to. I think she battled back. I know. I know she she pretty much led through wide um, on her part of the track. But I think she was headed but headed by the far side um, group at one stage, and it looked like she was going to get lost just for a, a half a furlong or so. But she kept on really well. Um, she's clearly as tough as teak. We saw um, a disappointment from the yard the following day um, in the Chesham. Um, but it's very interesting that that both of these fillies. Um, would have been obvious Albany contenders on paper, and she was the one that um, the Mark Johnson wanted to stick with, uh, rather than the impressive Goodwood winner. So uh, she's she's very good. Um, she keeps delivering. She's effective on a range of going as well, and I think that was one of the um, one of the better performances in two-year-old races. Looking forward, I think there were a lot of exciting two-year-old races, but not necessarily races that helped um, clear the water. If you see what I mean. But I think mm-hmm. she did um, set her stall out and she's one to look forward to. All right. Palisader got himself back into the winner's, in- winner's enclosure. You cannot keep Gordon Elliott away from the winner's enclosure at huge meetings. Surely he'll be in the royal procession next year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a price on that if you like. <laughs> Being told... Now, sir, you're not allowed to wave to the great unwashed when you're in the royal procession. But doing doing the old uh, young Magna anyway, just waving for the crack. Uh, sure, why not? Uh, Palisader beat Renessi, beat Count Octave. How? Who knows? Jamie Spencer, fantastic stuff. Jamie Spencer was at his brilliant best on Agatera in the Sandrington Mistakes, who apparently everybody wanted to be on. Um, old Persian got the better of Rostropovich and Giuseppe Garbadini. Yeah, big deal. And uh, let's then wrap it up. Giuseppe Gabardini. <laughs> Whatever, who cares? That's going to be that's going to be the worst of the lot. I was going I was going to say he'll be racing for Mike DeCock, but obviously uh, Mike DeCock is quitting, so who knows where all uh, these, these classic, are going to go? Classic Kennedy. And then finally, the walking mistakes. Spacus uh, wins thirty-three to one and nails the good thing of the week because that's what you want to do, Kevin, isn't it? You want to back a two-to-one shot in one of the most competitive handicaps. Of the entire year, 
Yeah, well, that's smart. It, it looked value there. It looked it looked value there for a while. Oh, he, he was <laughs> he was. If that horse traded one oh one, I'd be I'd be shocked. Uh, Bacchus nailed him. Uh, you were quite keen to take on Dreamfield. These oh god, he's gone off very short. Um, and yeah, there's always one, Kevin. There's always one to come and nail these horses. Yeah, and he, he, Dreamfield would probably be a you know a proper group sprinter. To be fair to him, and mm. um, it was a fine, fine effort for one so inexperienced. He just drifted left, just caught him. I think that just caught him out. You know, and who blame him? You know, Roy Lascott, massive crowds. You know, big, huge, big field. You know that when he won at Ascot um, on his on a, on his prior start, you know he made all up against the rail, unhurried. You know, it was a much easier experience for him than than this, and um, and he just got nailed. And I suspect people, uh, the, the those that got involved at the very short price, will look back at this in the fullness of time and go, "How did he get beat? He was he had a stone in hand, or maybe not quite a stone, but." He, um, I think history will show that he ha- he did have a fair bit in hand here. Mm. Um, but yeah. such is hand- these handicaps, they are very, very, very tough to win. That fellow on the telly on, made on, a good unless point. Unless your I name is David Mernan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you, said, you said before the race, um, one of the few moments I had to tune into ITV coverage, um, you know, even, even if you knew you had a grip horse and a handicap like the Wokingham, you wouldn't necessarily be a two to one shot. There's just so much that can go wrong. Yeah. Um, you can have a stone in hand and, and still not win half the time. I believe what Kevin uh, wanted to say was cop onto yourselves, lads. You'll find a better two to one shot at Billistown on a weeknight. But what he actually said was, Man, lads, you'll find a better two to one shot any day of the week. Which was a damn good yeah, piece of analysis. It's a, it's a factual fact, I'd, I'd suggest. Yeah. Yeah. That's not actually good training performance, though. We, should, we shouldn't just talk about Dreamfield there, should we? Um, uh, hats off to Brian Meehan trainer I, I struggle to get right I have to say but to produce Bacchus um, as fancied as he was to win this uh, on the back of um, of an absence was a very very good training performance and a very confident one as well so um, you sh- we should give as much credit as possible to the winning connections well said that man the Irish Derby is this weekend that's come along fast oi, oi. Uh, we've got the Irish Derby we've got the Pretty Polly we've got the Northumberland Plate all live and at the races and we will give you a preview podcast with Kevin Blake Rory Delargy and myself as we look ahead to it so no spoilers just yet but uh, I think Rory has nailed the Northumberland Plate winner he told me oh that's an easy race I've got that one crushed the winner is obvious and uh, and Kevin's got the obvious winner of the Derby that isn't the favourite. So no pressure on the boys. Now, of course, that could be all lies just designed to make you listen to the podcast. Or it could actually be true because the honesty is that we I haven't actually... Everyone knows it's all lies. It's all lies because we actually haven't talked about the races at all. Just the fact that we're going to do the podcast on Thursday. But, you know, that's probably because I like you too much to lie to your face. There you go. Thanks very much for listening in. That's our look at Royal Ascot 2018. Roy Delarkey, your highlight of the entire week. Uh, Alpha Centauri. Kevin Blake. Plenty of highlights, but she was fantastic. Kevin? Settled for a bit. <laughs> See, I asked you this question again, Kevin, because now we're away from day one and two, but no, it's still all about David. What a performance uh, that I, was. I, I went down and had a, had a little cuddle with him, not David, the horse, <laughs> there this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's um, yeah, some exciting stuff there from Kevin to come. And uh, and from me, Alpha Centauri had to be. She was just 
brilliant. Sussex takes next. Come on, make it happen. Goodwood, it'd be unbelievable. Without parole, Alpha Centauri, Alpha Centauri beats her, beats him even, comfortably, unless he decides to have a Caitlyn Jenner between now and then to try and get the same allowances uh, as Alpha Centauri. Uh, right, until Christ. Thursday evening when we're back with you with the weekend preview and at theraces.com, you can check out the website for some brilliant Royal Ascot review content, including an article from our very own Kevin Blake from Rory DeLarge. Good night. From Kevin Blake. Good luck. And from me, Emma Kennedy, we will chat to you again before the weekend on the Final Forum Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for all the kind words on social media. We'll chat to you again very, very soon. God bless. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, Visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.